shower us with your heavenly grace today. Cleanse us from our sin, wash us from our stain. Forget our transgressions and view us in the grace that is found in Christ alone so that we might ascend to your throne in prayer and enjoy your presence in worship. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. A new pastor was coming to a church and the church was sending out in the newsletter some information about this new pastor. And in the newsletter they were describing uh, not only his family, his background and experience, but his connection to this new church that he was coming to and how he was excited to come and how it was such a great fit. And a statement made in the newsletter said this, the pastor believes 10% of our doctrinal statement. Well, that was a mistake. You see, they let out a zero. The statement should have read, the pastor believes 100% of our doctrinal statement, but imagine the surprise when the church said, we're calling someone who believes 10% of what we believe. Zeros are important. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor in Ohio, I was putting together something called a a singspiration. Have you ever heard of that? Singspiration? Blew the joke already. Uh, And I gave to a part-time secretary the information about it, and so she types it in the bulletin, but missed one letter, the little letter G, and the announcement came out like this, the youth will be having a sinspiration at the Sheridan's home on Sunday night. It was one of our better attendances. (laughs) Imagine the questions I had to answer to all the parents, exactly what are you planning? And I had to tell them it was a misspelling. Little things are important. God has given to us amazing bodies. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And there are some little things in your bodies, little members, little organs that cannot be seen that are amazingly vital. And if one happens to be gone, so are you, some of them. And that's true in the body of Christ. The fact that God wants us to be one, but we are at the same time many members. Open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We continue our study of sit, walk, stand. Our study of the book of Ephesians. And we are in chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now just to review... Paul is picking up from where he left off really back in the beginning of chapter 3 and after a bit of a diversion comes back to this idea of now it's time for us to focus on living or walking a life worthy of the calling that we've received. The first three chapters talk about the calling and now we're talking about living living consistently in light of that calling. That means, verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, which can be described as bearing up with one another. Be long-suffering in love. Make every effort to keep the unity. There it is. The unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That is, the peace we enjoy with Christ because we are all reconciled to Him. 
Therefore, the peace that we should enjoy with one another and be reconciled with them. Crossing over racial barriers in any challenging uh, human situation. For, and now Paul is probably quoting in, uh, from uh, an ancient creed or confessional. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But then Paul takes a dramatic change. In fact, it is very clear that he is intentionally trying to qualify his statement on unity by adding these words, but even though we are one and unified, to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, I like the reading in the New uh, American Standard Bible a little bit better. It says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, the NIV does a little bit of, of translation there and trying to combine the thought, but in doing so, they don't translate the word gift, doron, which is clearly in the text. It's not that it's wrong, it's just a little bit cloudy. And the New American Standard makes it abundantly clear that to each one of us, Christ has given a grace gift. And that, to me, is an amazing statement. Now, you may say that I'm not worth very much. I have a very small role to play in the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not even sure I have a role. I'm small and unimportant, but Christ says no. Every zero is vital. Now, Jesus doesn't call you a zero, but that's maybe what you call yourself. I'm nothing. I'm useless. I can contribute in no way to the body. Don't say that, because King Jesus has given you a grace gift. That is an amazing statement. Unity is very important. I like what Vance Havner says. Christians are like snowflakes. They're different and frail, but when they stick together, they can stop traffic. <laughs> Unity has tremendous power. But we are different. In the midst of unity, there is this thing called diversity. Unity is not the lack of variety. It is not colorless uniformity. We are not to imagine that every Christian is an exact replica of every other Christian. We're not mass-produced in some cookie-cutter fashion. Siblings don't have to be identical twins to be from the same family. And we are from the same family. And yes, we are to be, all of us, Christ-like. But God has made rich diversity in his church. And now he wants to talk about it. Lest we think that unity means that none of us are different. God, a God of multicolors, a God of multi-races, enjoys variety. And so in this wonderful portion of Scripture, we're going to talk about that fact that you and I have been given a grace gift from King Jesus to be used so that his body might grow up. 
Let's look at verse 7, and just in a simple way, as we attack this portion of Scripture, let's notice, first of all, the gifted. And I'm referring to believers when verse 7 says, each one of you, that's referring to a believer, so it's not every person in the world, but it's every believer has been gifted by God through grace. And this word grace is a fascinating word. By the way, that's the way the book of Ephesians started, right? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's chapter 1, verse 2. And grace is the way the book of Ephesians ends, the very last verse. Grace be with all of those who love our Jesus, love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And grace starts us on our Christian life, for by grace are you saved through faith. That's Ephesians chapter 2. And now he's saying it's not just getting into you, into the kingdom by grace. This is the way you function all the time. You live by grace and grace alone. It's a wonderful truth. It's a freeing truth. And the Greek word for grace is charis. And when you're talking about gifts and grace and you put it together, you come up with a word charismata, which in the English is often translated charismatic. Now, I agree with John Stott that it is a great mistake to apply the word charismatic to one group within the church because this word belongs to all of us. If I were to say to you today, we are a charismatic congregation, some of you might be ready to leave. And I understand that. Because what we think of when we think of the word charismatic is a portion of the church that has emphasized the gifts of the Spirit, we think often outside of biblical bounds. Not that they haven't done good and, and that they aren't doing good now, but we believe that there are some excesses in that uh, area, and so we pull back and say we're not a charismatic congregation, but we are. We are filled with the grace gifts of God. We have the charismata, and that, my friend, is an amazing thing. Notice this verse. It says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, or uh, the, the New American says, according to the measure of Christ. The word measure is the Greek word meter. And so it gives us the idea that God gives us grace, but he gives to us grace in different ways and in different amounts. He gives us different gifts and different uh, amounts of a gift. For instance, you might be a writer and a very gifted writer, but you may not be one of the most gifted writers in the world. There are gifted writers and there are writers and there are those of us who would love to be. You might be an excellent singer and gifted, but you may not be one of the best singers in the world. You see the difference? So we can have the same gift, but the same gift to different amounts or, or, or measures. And we can have a mix of gifts. So you might have a dominant spiritual grace gift, but you might have two or three others that are thrown in the mix, 
And you know with colors, you take the dominant colors and you can make any kind of color you want. We are unique like snowflakes, frail like snowflakes, and indeed different for the glory of Almighty God. And grace has started it all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it or according to the measure of Christ. There are four major sections in Scripture that talk about the spiritual gifts. And it's somewhat easy to remember them because it is Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And the other two are Ephesians 4, as we'll see today, and 1 Peter 4. So it's 12 and 12, 4 and 4. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, a little mnemonic to help you remember where they are. And if you were to go and add up all the gifts in all of those lists, lists, you would have over 20. Sometimes they're redundant, which leads me to think that none of these lists are intended to be exhaustive. But they cover the basics. And as you have the opportunity to look at those lists, ask yourself, which grace gift has Christ given me? We are graced. By the way, that's maybe the best single word that defines the gospel better than any other word, grace. What did we sing a moment ago? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Oh, I love that song. We don't sing it enough. We don't believe it like we ought to believe it. I have been touched by grace in salvation, and I have been gifted by grace. I'm one of the gifted. Now, I wouldn't say that too boldly in just common conversation, because people will misunderstand you. But some of you have such a low self-view that you think in Christ you're just barely saved, but there's nothing you can do. No, no, you have been graced by God, and you need to be serving him. Now, what might be something of a shocker is that in verse 7, the giver of this grace gift is whom? Jesus. Now, I find this amazing. We often think of the spiritual gifts, right, as coming from the Holy Spirit, and they do. But if you look in Romans 12, it says the gifts come from the Father. If you look here at Ephesians 4, the gifts come from the Son. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts come from the Spirit, which shouldn't shock us because we're talking about the wonderful triune God. They all come from God. The triune God. They come from the Father, purchased by the Son, and delivered by the Spirit. These are amazing gifts. But here, the emphasis is on the fact that Jesus is the giver of gifts. And this text, which sometimes sounds confusing, is an amazing text to talk about Jesus, the sovereign king, the risen king, giving gifts. Christ is the one who gives the gift, verse 7. Now notice the explanation of this. This is something of a parenthetical analogy it's a bit of an interpretive rendering of psalm 68 you see in psalm 68 david conquered the jebusites 
who were living in a rather unknown city that David changed its name into Jerusalem from Jebusite. He conquered the Jebusites, took the city, named it Jerusalem, and in triumph mounted up Mount Zion, which today we would call the Temple Mount. And in victory, took the spoils, gave it to his soldiers, and ascended as a triumphal king. Now, that same portion of Scripture Paul takes and applies it to Jesus, verse 8. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does it mean that he ascended, except that he first descended to the lower earthly regions? Now, the one who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. This is the risen, ascended, sovereign Christ, now at the right hand of the Father. This is amazing. The descent is the incarnation. And notice the scripture says, translated in the NIV, and I think this is right on, he descended to the lower regions of the earth. He descended to the earth. Now, 1 Peter will talk about a descent that goes even further after he dies on the cross uh, into the pit of the demons, as it were. But I don't think that's the emphasis here. The descent is Christmas. The descent is the incarnation. He humbled himself and became a man. That was a great step down for one who is equal with God. But then after his victory on the cross, he ascended. That's Acts chapter 1. He ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the way the book of, of Mark ends. Seated at the right hand of the Father. The very thing he promised to do, he did. And now he has sovereign rule. He fills the universe. He's king. We don't see it yet now. He hasn't forced everyone to subject to his rule, but one day he will. But he is king now. And he is enthroned. And so this is a wonderful portion of Scripture. You see, in, in David's time and later in Romans' time, when a king would conquer a region, he would come back and he would be given a triumph. Now, that's not a motorcycle. It is a victory parade. He would be given a triumph. He would go through the city usually in his chariot. Soldiers would walk behind him People would shout and wave and just make all kinds of celebrations. The captives would come usually in chains following the king or sometimes preceding the king and he would dis disperse the spoil among the soldiers. Now we do something similar. Remember the ticker tape parades in New York? General MacArthur, here's a picture of MacArthur going through New York a waving to the crowds after his great victory leading the battles in World War II. He's a great general. Uh, here's a picture of a woman in New York in one of those high-rises. And, of course, the ticker tape, that's the tape that used to come out of the, uh, of the uh, stock market machines, and they got their name because of the sound. Uh, there's 
many in this room who understand that. When I speak to creative, they have no idea what that is. And you can see some evidence of the ticker tape coming out of the window. And it looked like snow falling. You've seen them, right? This next picture is a picture of MacArthur when he went to San Francisco. And here's the Victor's Parade. By the way, he was fired by Harry Truman not too long after that, but that's another story. And then here's another picture of a New York ticker tape parade. This time it's for John Glenn, who was the first astronaut launched, uh, what, into space, first to orbit. Anyhow, a hero's parade. So this is the picture we have here. He's taking what David experienced in Psalm 68 in the Old Testament and applying it to Jesus. Jesus, the king, has conquered. He conquered on the cross. He conquered with the resurrection. He's ascended on high. He's seated next to the Father, and he has the right to give gifts. And oh, by the way, he released the captives from Satan's control. And there's a ca- he leads captivity captive. And we are in his train, and we get gifts. All of that to say Jesus has the right to give the gifts. Sometimes we question a person's right. Who are you to tell me that I must do this? If someone pulls you over while you're driving too fast and they don't have a uniform on, you may say, who are you? What right do you have to pull me over and give me a ticket? But if they have the uniform and the right car, and the right badges, they have all the authority. Jesus has all authority to give gifts. And that's exactly what he's done. Colossians chapter 2 says, he has led a triumphal uh, parade and has conquered all his enemies and made a show of it on the cross. By the way, Pentecost is probably the celebration of the Spirit being poured out and the gifts being given of the conqueror Jesus who reigns in heaven above. So it's all there. Jesus is the giver. We are the recipients. But what about the purpose? What about the goal? And that's what Paul talks about too in Ephesians chapter 4. When he says in verse 11... He gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, remember that this portion of Scripture is not giving us all the gifts. We're talking about the goal now, and ultimately the goal is going to be maturity. But the way God matures his church is to give all of us gifts. And with those gifts, We minister to one another and build up the body of Christ. By the way, it's my understanding that there are three different categories of gifts. Let me just share those with you right now. You have speaking gifts and serving gifts and sign gifts. Now, there is some overlap because some of the sign gifts fall into the category of speaking gifts as well. The speaking gifts are the ones that Paul mentions here in Ephesians 4. These are gifts given to individuals who will speak forth the Word of God. And they have unusual roles, different roles, but they all have speaking gifts. Serving gifts are those gifts that help 
usually behind the scenes, often behind the scenes to make things run. If you were to read 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it would say this, As each one has received a gift, so use it to minister to one another as a good steward of the manifold grace of God, of the abundant grace of God. So if anyone speaks, let him speak as the very word of God. If anyone serves, let them do it with the ability which God supplies. So there are the two gifts, speaking and serving. So that in all things, the purpose is given as well, so that in all things Christ might be glorified to whom praise is reserved forever. The sign gifts is where we find a lot of bit of controversy and where that name charismatic would often be attached to, as I mentioned before. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, it talks about the signs of the apostles. And it's my understanding that many of the miraculous gifts had their primary purpose during the transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant, connected with the apostles, who were given, again, a special call to receive the word and to record the word or proclaim the word. And it's, although God can do whatever he wants, and certainly has the power to do everything he wants to do, those sign gifts are not normative today. I'm not denying God's power or denying miracles. I'm just saying that there are a few gifts that appear to be used primarily for the transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant, from Israel to the church. So look at the gifts that we find here in Ephesians 4 and verse 11. He gave some to be apostles. This seems to be referring to the 12. And if you read in Ephesians chapter 2, they are the ones who laid the foundation, right? They're the ones who laid the foundation of the church. And you don't keep laying a foundation over and over and over again. The apostles received the word of God. They were people who saw Christ and therefore were authorized to speak for Christ. Now, there are apostles in a secondary sense, not in the primary sense, but secondary sense, in the sense that anyone who is sent on a commission does apostolic work. But there are no more apostles like in the first century. And I think it's a bit of a misnomer to take that name because it implies one who has seen Jesus one who gets direct revelation from Jesus. Therefore, when they speak, they're speaking the very word of God, and we don't have those kinds of people here today. If we did, we'd have to get everything they say and add it to the canon of Scripture. The problem with that is the Bible says whoever adds to this book is under a curse because it's complete. And prophets, in the primary sense, they're not around today uh, because they carried forth a very similar minister to the apostles. Now, I'm not arguing that people do not have prophetic gifts, that they can, uh, with unusual clarity, have visions of discernment. Uh, not visions is a poor word. They, they have the ability to discern what's going to happen in the future. Some very wise individuals. There are prophets in the secondary sense who proclaim the word as opposed to those who receive the word 
and write it down like the early apostles and prophets did. But they both had speaking gifts and they were used for a time. The apostles and the prophets given to us, given to us the canon of Scripture, which we've recorded and we call the Holy Bible. Evangelists are more like missionaries or church planters. They focus on sharing the gospel where it's never been heard. And then the last two most likely are referring to the same individual because there is a definite article, a single definite article referring to both. And in this unusual construction in the Greek language, uh, it usually is referring to the same person with just two different words. So these are teaching shepherds which is the role of most pastors in a local church. Now, these individuals are listed also again in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 28, and they're listed uh, in actually a list of importance. God has given to the church first apostles and then secondarily prophets and then down the line Teachers, and after that, miracles and gifts of healing and helps and administration and different kinds of tongues. And Are they all apostles? No. Are they all prophets? No. Is everyone a teacher? No. Do all, they all work miracles? No. Do they all have the gift of tongues? Absolutely not. The point is, Jesus is the one who decides what gift you get and how much of the gift you get. But the apostles and prophets are top on the list because they're the ones sent by God in an unusual situation to give us the word, and we don't have people giving us the word like that today. But lest we get tied up or somewhat confused and lost in the multitude of lists and questions, I want you to notice the goal is clear. Whether it's speaking gifts or serving gifts or even sign gifts, the goal is to prepare God's people, this is verse 12, for works of service so the body of Christ might be built up. Why? So we can all reach the unity of faith. And now he takes that word from verse 3 and uses it again, the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God that we might become mature, that we might attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And he brings it all back. So it looks like as he's marching toward this goal of a healthy body, he wants everyone to do their part. Look at verse 16. The body will build itself up in love as each part plays its role. The church won't grow unless you play your role. It's just that simple. The church won't grow like it should unless you play your role. It's not enough just to come and sit and enjoy. Play your role. And when you do the thing that God has designed you to do, it is amazing. And the church is richly blessed. The risen Christ has gifted each believer for works of service so that the body of Christ will grow up. We need to grow up. And this is how it happens. And it is a beautiful thing when the church does its work. I want to show you a little clip 
of a flash mob that took place in Spain with over 130 people that I think describes this beautifully. Go ahead and play the clip.
stop it. It does go on a little bit longer, and it's worth watching the whole thing. <clears throat> but to me, that's the church. Every person playing their part. Yeah, the bass fiddle was okay when he got out there, but wasn't it great when everyone started playing and everyone started singing? And did you notice what happened here in Sabadell, Spain? People stopped, and they looked, and they listened, and they were filled with joy. You say, yeah, but that's music. That's exactly what the church of Jesus Christ should be playing by our lives, the music of his grace and his love. And stop people in their tracks to hear about the grace of God. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have united your church as one in Christ. Help each one of us to discover our gift and to use it for your glory so that the world will listen to the sweet music of grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.